Welcome to Spirits Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Amanda. And I'm Julia. And this week, Amanda, Chinese New Year is coming up pretty soon. Hell yeah, dude. So excited. The schools here in New York City are off. There's awesome parades. Love to patron our local Chinese-owned businesses. Uh, what a good time of year. Yeah, so it is going to begin on February 10th this year. It is the Year of the Dragon, which I'm kind of really excited about. It's supposed to be a very lucky year. Uh, and because it's coming up so soon, I've been thinking a lot about the New Year and the Chinese Zodiac. And I'm realizing that while I knew like a little bit about these kind of things through stories and references and media and stuff like that, I don't know a lot about the origins of either. So today, I kind of want to talk about the origins of the Chinese Zodiac, the legendary origins of the animals and the new year, and then also talk about uh, the way that the festival is typically celebrated. I love that. Because this is kind of like an important cultural and religious holiday celebrated not just in China, but across the world, as, as we just mentioned, I, I'm sure I am not the only person who did not grow up celebrating it who's listening to this episode, but is still interested. So this is mainly for those people. And I am so curious. I'll, I'll do a call to action at the end of the episode. But hey, I want to hear if you grew up celebrating Chinese New Year, if you still celebrate the Chinese New Year, I want to hear all about what your celebrations look like. Absolutely. I know how my friends celebrated growing up, and I would love to know what your specific traditions are, and we'll do a little follow-up. So to start us off, let's kind of talk about the basics here. Chinese New Year celebrates the beginning of the year for the traditional Chinese calendar, which is a lunisolar calendar. And they're like the Jews, baby. Uh, and therefore, the year starts on the second new moon after the winter solstice. So that's why we're getting a uh, February 10th celebration this year. Something feels good about getting through the sort of dregs of winter, uh, you know, and then being like, yes, like I have a thing to look forward to. Spring is coming. Like this is the move. Yes. So while that is the specific day of the new year, uh, the celebrations and observances that make up the festival, which is also known as the Spring Festival, go from the day before the new year to the start of the Lantern Festival, which is held on the 15th day of the new year. Nice. So we'll talk a little bit more about the details of the celebration in the latter half of the episode. But the first thing I want to do is talk about the Chinese zodiac, as each new year is connected to one of 12 animals that are part of this 12-year cycle that is the Chinese zodiac. I love it. I, I say zodiac. And there are some similarities between the Western Zodiac and the Chinese Zodiac. Uh, each has 12 parts, and each is said to kind of influence a person's personality or fortune based on when they're born. But unlike the Western Zodiac, the animals of the Chinese Zodiac are not references to constellations on the kind of like ecliptic path, which is, you know, the way that the Earth circles around the sun. But rather, these are based off of the Jovian orbital cycle, meaning the, the orbit of Jupiter around the sun, which is a little under 12 years. It takes a little under 12 years for Jupiter to fully revolve around the sun. It's like operating on another time scale that I really appreciate. Because I was just thinking to myself, when you said you're the dragon, I'm like, I remember it being you're the dragon. Holy shit, that was 12 years ago. Do you know what our Chinese zodiac sign is, Amanda? Aren't we pig? We're the monkey. The monkey. Okay. I was going to say it might be different for you because you have a February birthday, but you're the end of February yeah. and like the latest it can be, I think, is like February 20th. Yeah, I'm, I'm the beginning of the year of the monkey then. 
So as a result of this kind of 12-year cycle that it takes for Jupiter to revolve around the sun, we get 12 animals, each representing a year, rather than the 12 constellations of the Western Zodiac, which each represent approximately about a month, you know? Mm-hmm. So we use Zodiac as a shorthand to describe both of these, but only because it comes from this ancient Greek word, which means the cycle of animals, which honestly fits the Chinese Zodiac better than it does the Western Zodiac, because there's a lot of non-animals in the Western Zodiac. Like Libra, that, that's not an animal. <laughs> Those are scales. Virgo, that's not an animal. That's a lady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. That, that fits the, the cycle of animals a lot better. Precisely. So in Chinese astrology, we have these 12 animal signs that are assigned by year. But much like Western astrology, where you have not only your sun sign, but also your moon sign and your rising sign and your Venus sign and so on, a, a person has a further zodiac beyond the year that they're born in Chinese astrology. So your animal sign based on your years, how you kind of like present yourself or how others perceive you. And then there's also an animal sign for your month of birth, your day of birth, and your hour of birth. Respectively, each represents your inner self, your true self, and your secret self. Ooh, that's cool. And I really like it because they refer to it as like your secret animal. I'm like, I want to know what my secret animal is. That's so cool. Very much so. So as I mentioned before, this year is the year of the dragon, which is a particularly auspicious year. In fact, there tends to be a spike in birth rates during years of the dragon because babies born during this year are considered especially lucky to the point where sometimes hospitals are overwhelmed and understaffed for giving birth during this time period. So good luck with babies. Make your plans, you know. <laughs> So the year of the dragon is also tied to the element of the earth, as all the animals in the Chinese zodiac are tied to one of the five elements of Chinese philosophy. So like dragon is earth, which I'm a little I'm not like surprised by that. Like if I was going to guess dragon, that's not what I would guess. I would guess probably air uh, or, you know, certainly I think there is a typical association with fire or even water because we have we have water dragons. But earth, that surprises me. Yeah. And a lot of Eastern dragons are associated more with water than with fire, as we've talked about in our dragons episode. Mm -hmm. So we have these 12 animal signs that are in a particular order. The, it's a constant cycle of these 12 animals. The cycle does not change. But how did we get these specific animals and why are they in this specific order? I have no idea, but I bet I'm about to find out. Well, Amanda, being this is spirits, we have a myth about that, and it has to do with a race. Ooh, is this the is this the finishing order of the race? Yes, yes, it is. All right, so there are many variations of the story about the race that determined the Chinese zodiac, but this is kind of the one that I found the most commonly popped up in my research. So that's the one that I'm going to share. The story goes that the Jade Emperor, who is one of the most important gods in Chinese mythology, he called for a race to celebrate his birthday. He invited all of the animals in the world to compete in this race, but only 13 animals actually ended up participating in it. Oh, oh boy. Who didn't finish? You'll find out. So the goal basically of the Jade Emperor was to create this kind of like time measurement for mortals. And he decided that that measurement would be determined by the order in which the animals cross the finish line. Sure. But this was no ordinary foot race, Amanda. They had to cross a river, a very large river, with a very strong current and then reach the finish line on the other shore. 
not going to lie to you. That feels a little bit biased against uh, non-amphibian or aquatic animals. Well, yes, that is 100% true. But you'll, you'll see what happens. <laughs> so 13 animals were to compete in the race. They were the pig, dog, rooster, monkey, sheep, horse, snake, dragon, rabbit, tiger, ox, rat, and cat. Mm. Now, the cat and the rat, who were once friends, both knew that they weren't very strong swimmers. They knew they were going to struggle to swim across the strong currents of the river, but they were also both very clever. So they knew that their best option to win was by hopping onto the back of the ox. So, you know, big, strong swimming ox, you know, uh, can easily cross a river like that, et cetera, et cetera. And Julia, we don't often talk about the fact that the ox got a high butt. Mm -hmm. That butt is up there. The butt can be like equal to the head. Like it is high. And so you can just perch right on top of one of those little cheeks, ride right across. Yeah, especially if you're a tiny little rat or a little cat. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what they did. They ended up climbing onto the ox. The ox didn't really seem to mind the additional weight. You know, cat at most, what, 20 pounds? I'm sure some conspirators will be like, mm, my cat, though. Yeah, I think 20 pounds is large for a cat. I'm, I'm aiming high for the cat size on that one. Dude, Julia, my cousin has three main coons. They literally together way more than like his eight-year-old. They're huge cats. But also Maine Coon, not native to China in general. So yeah. probably wasn't a Maine Coon that was doing this race. No, no, no. <laughs> but I like it. I like the I like the image. I like the vibe. Fair. So they are crossing the river on the back of this ox. However, the rat was eager to win the race. He wanted to impress the Jade Emperor. So halfway across the river, the rat pushed the cat into the river. No, damn. In some stories, the cat drowns. In other stories, he's simply swept away and cannot complete the race. There's also another version of the story where, like, everyone got invitations and the rat told the cat that it was a different day. And so the cat misses the race entirely. Damn. So, like, either way, like, the cat and the rat, that's why they have beef. <laughs> <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. There's history there. So that, that's why cats are always eager to catch rats. And that's like a good, not only do we have a mythological origin for the Chinese Zodiac cycle, but also now we have a story for why cats want to eat rats. Incredible. Tom and Jerry right. have no idea. <laughs> so regardless of what version or what happens, the ox and the rat make it across the river. The rat leaps from the back of the ox, comes in first in the race, and then the ox comes in second. And then soon behind the ox is the tiger, who is quite strong, able to cross the river with ease. Tigers, shockingly good swimmers, by the way, like just in general, like in real life. Really? I mean, I guess that makes sense. I, I, I sort of associate cats with not loving water necessarily, but like tigers live in jungles and forests and mountains with all kinds of water in there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to like a zoo where they have tigers, but like oftentimes if the tigers are active, they're out in the water. And it's like really cool to just see them like bopping around with like a little ball and stuff like that, just swimming. Just doing their thing. So cute. So as these three, the rat, the ox, and the tiger, uh, finish the uh, cross the finish line, soon after they hear a loud thumping noise, which is the rabbit. So the rabbit appears. He crosses the finish line. He had, rather than swim, jumped from stone to stone to cross the river, which is smart because he's a little rabbit. He can't really swim that well. He didn't even get wet. He looks great for his finish line photo. Well, Amanda, he did get a little wet because as he's jumping from stone to stone, he ends up slipping on one of the wet stones and falls into the river, right? All right. Luckily, there was a log that was floating by at the time and the rabbit was able to grab onto it and then it floated to the shore, letting the rabbit finish in fourth. Love to hear it. 
Now, not far behind the rabbit, the dragon comes across the finish line, which kind of surprises both the Jade Emperor and all of the other animals because they were like, hey, the dragon can fly. <laughs> um, shouldn't you have won? You could have just gone right across. And the dragon tells the Jade Emperor, hey, I stopped several times on my journey to help villagers that were having some trouble on the river. Cute. And then I was approaching the finish line, but then I saw the rabbit on the log and he seemed like he was having a tough time. So I blew a little wind his way and brushed him onto the shore so he could arrive safely. Dragon? What a mensch. Dragon, good boy. So the dragon ends up coming in fifth behind the rabbit. And then not long after that, the horse gallops up to the finish line. However, Manda, the horse did not realize at the time that the snake had actually slithered up its leg and had kind of hitched a ride on the horse, similar to how the rat and the cat had hitched a ride on the ox. I see. Now the snake appearing in front of the horse scares that horse because he's a big creature, but he's scared of snakes, obviously. Yeah. And then the snake uses that to his advantage, comes in sixth place, horse comes in seventh. Yes. Yeah. But also, uh, horses, good instincts, and a, a snake bite can take down a horse. True so. facts. True facts. Uh, it took a little bit more time, but the next to arrive at the finish line were the monkey, the rooster, and the sheep. And unlike the other animals who had used their own strengths or had taken advantage of others, the monkey, the rooster, and the sheep had all agreed to work together to get to the finish line. Nice. So the rooster had located a raft while the other two animals had climbed aboard, and they worked together to kind of navigate this dangerous river and crossed it so that the sheep became the eighth, the monkey became the ninth, and the rooster became the tenth. Nice. Very cooperative. I'm into it. I love that. You know, like, you know, if you're going to be like, yeah, I'm a monkey. I can't really swim super well. I'm also a sheep. I can't swim super well. I'm a rooster, so I can't really fly, I guess. So we'll, we'll all just cross together. Like, what a great teamwork building. Exactly. <laughs> it's I like, can wait another year or two. Um, I really like the idea of this being like the, the teamwork exercise for like a company that the Jade Emperor is like throwing. <laughs> like, And then there's a ropes course after this. Exactly. And, and the floor is lava. And these little scooters are islands and you must get across oh man i miss that scooter game from elementary school that was so cool i know so the next to arrive was the dog who was a great swimmer dogs pretty good swimmers but he had arrived to the race actually late and so therefore was one of the last to finish because he just didn't get there on time what was he doing uh, i don't know chilling <laughs> chilling playing getting like distracted about peanut butter he found a big stick and then uh, could not get it through a doorway. That's my favorite dog thing. Oh, shit. <laughs> He's like, look how big the stick is. Always happens. So the dog finished in 11th. And the Jade Emperor at this point, getting tired of waiting to see who the last animal to arrive is going to be. Checking out that river is like, you know, it would be really nice right now. I want to take a bath in that river. That would be really good. I like just I want to take a quick bath, like, you know, mm. enjoy my birthday. A nice bath on someone's birthday. Wonderful. Love it. Sure. So just as he's about to get into those tempting waters and call the race off, he hears the small little oink, and the pig arrives. Aww, the pig. Now, the pig uh, had become hungry in the middle of the race, decided to stop, find some food. After he ate, fell asleep, which, you know, honestly, relatable. Same. So relatable. Uh, but he managed to cross the river once he woke up from his nap, thus making him the 12th and last animal to arrive. Uh, listen, Julia, if you ask me, the pig 
actually won here because he got to have a snack, have a nap, and still make it into the Zodiac. You know what? I think we should all embody the pig a little bit more. When the year of the pig rolls around again in seven years, I think, uh, we should all (laughs) just take that as a year where we're like, we're going to treat ourselves. We're going to take our time. We're going to be gentle with ourselves and not feel rushed by society. We're going to have more snacks have more naps. The The finish line comes for us all one day. And 11 of us didn't have a snack or a nap. And one of us did. Yeah. Who do you want to be? Some of us did get to sleep in a little and then arrive late. I'm looking at you, dog. Meanwhile, some of us were like, I had to help many people on the way over here. And that's why I'm fifth. Good for the dragon. Now we know the origin of these Zodiac animals. And that means we can get to the New Year celebrations. But Before we do that, Amanda, let's go and we'll grab our refill. Let's do it. Hey, it's Julia, and welcome to The Refill. Let's start off first by thanking our newest patrons. Thank you so much to Shanti, Charlotte, Sarah, and Letty. Thank you so much for supporting us here on Patreon. And you can support us like our supporting producer-level patrons, Alicia, Anne, Ariana, Ginger Spurs Boy, Hannah, Jack Marie, Jane, Nieselkins, Lily, Matthew, Nathan, Phil Fresh, Rico Like, Captain Jonathan, Malachi Cosmos, Sarah, and Scott, and of course, our legend-level patrons, Audra, Bex, Chibi-Yokai, Morgan H., Sarah, and BME Up Scotty. And if you would like to join the ranks of our patrons here on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash spiritspodcast where you can get some cool rewards. Like, for instance, if we were to go on a tour, say, uh, coming up soon, you would get stuff like early access to those tickets for our tour. So go to patreon.com slash spiritspodcast today to sign up and get some very, very cool rewards. Now, normally I would put a recommendation here. We'll get to that in a second. But we have to talk about how spirits and join the party are going on tour right now. We are doing a seven-city tour in March, starting on March 21st in Seattle, Minneapolis, Chicago, Boston, New York City, Philadelphia, and Washington, D.C. We are so excited to be touring again, let me tell you. And you can find out more and get tickets for the Rolling Bones Tour by going to spiritspodcast.com slash live right now. That's spiritspodcast.com slash live to get your tickets to the Rolling Bones Tour. Go do it! My recommendation for you this week, I teased it before, but I am really enjoying Infamous by Lex Croucher. It is like a queer Bridgerton kind of thing. I am really digging it. And it scratches that itch for me of the kind of like romantic, but also historical and also a little bit queer uh, romance novel that I really enjoy. So that's Infamous by Lex Croucher. And hey, besides the tour, what else is going on at Multitude? Well, I want you to check out Big Game Hunger. Big Game Hunger is a weekly comedy show where Jenna Stieber and friends craft the next big video game every episode. Starting with a randomly generated genre, concept, and vibe, Jenna and a variety of funny and game-obsessed guests will take these ideas far enough that they can pitch it to a shadowy board of rich investors. By the end of the episode, they'll have honed an IP so irresistible, you'll be ready to risk $25 for it on Steam. Get ready to laugh about games you love, learn about game trends, and yearn for titles that will surely never make their release date. New episodes every Monday. Check it out. Big Game Hunger. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Listen, I have been in a relationship with my husband for 16 years now, and it's something that I have worked 
really hard on. People say that like, oh, you know, when it's right, it's right. And you'll know because it's so easy. That's not always the case. You know, you have to work to be in love with someone and also to grow over the years, especially in a long-term relationship like mine. And sometimes the best relationships happen when both people put in the work to make them great. And therapy can be a place to work through the challenges that you face in all of your relationships, whether it is with friends or work, your significant other, or anyone. I know that going to therapy has really improved my ability to communicate with my partner. That is a big thing that I felt like I struggled with early on in our relationship. And I know that talking to my therapist has made it easier for me to talk about things that I might not be able to open up to that easily with my husband. And so I want to say, if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit betterhelp.com spirits today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot spirits. If you've listened to any amount of spirits, you probably know that I enjoy wine. I think wine is really good. I really like, you know, a variety of different kinds of wine from the stuff that I can get at my local wine store for $10 to the stuff where I'm like, mm, ha, 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 I'm at a fancy restaurant and I'm going to have a nice bottle of wine to splurge. And even when I am going into a wine store, sometimes I really have no idea what wine to get. And that's why I love our next sponsor, Naked Wines. I love having a bottle of wine ready for my friends when they come over for a dinner. I love just cracking one open to have a nice little romantic evening on the couch with my husband. I really enjoy wine, really in any sort of setting. But did you know when you buy wine today, most of your money goes to things like fancy packaging or big budget marketing campaigns and also tax. And that's wild, you know? Plus, even after all of that, you don't even know if you'll like the wine until you've already bought it. Now, this podcast is sponsored by Naked Wines, and Naked Wines is a subscription service that seamlessly connects you to the finest independent winemakers on the planet so that you get a box of the market's best quality wines however often you'd like for a fraction of the price you'd normally pay in stores. They are able to connect winemakers and wine drinkers directly, allowing for vineyard-to-your-door delivery at up to 60% off of what you would pay in the store. And so by cutting out the traditional retail middleman costs and markup, winemakers can pass those savings on to you without skimping on quality. And as a result, you get exclusive access to hundreds of top quality award-winning wines at a huge savings, making Naked Wine perfect for any type of wine drinker. Now, listen, I love Naked Wine. It's really enjoyable. And I like the variety that you can get with each box. Like, for example, Jake is more of a white wine drinker. I am more of a red wine drinker. And I can mix things up and I can get whatever mix I want of those wines when they get delivered by Naked Wine. So head to nakedwines.com spirits and click enter voucher in the top right when you get to the website and put in spirits for both the code and password to get six bottles of wine for just $39.99 with shipping included. That's $100 off and less than $7 per bottle. That's nakedwine.com spirits and use the code and password spirits and grab six bottles for just $39.99. One last time, that's nakedwines.com spirits, code and password spirits for $100 off your first six bottles. 
And finally, we are sponsored by Green Chef. Green Chef is a CCOF certified meal kit company. Green Chef makes eating well easy with plans that fit every lifestyle. Whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, or just looking for more balanced meals, Green Chef offers a range of recipes to suit your preferences. I know a lot of my friends decided to uh, change up their diet in the new year. Some of them went vegetarian. Some of them are trying a keto diet. I know my mother-in-law is trying to go gluten-free. And Green Chef makes it so easy to do that. You can embark on a delicious culinary adventure with their diverse menu. Each week, you can choose from over 80 flavor-packed options, and you can easily customize your meals to suit your lifestyle. Again, with preferences like keto or vegan or vegetarian, fast and fit, Mediterranean, which I really enjoy, gluten-free and protein-packed. And Green Chef offers unique farm-fresh ingredients, organic whole fruits and veggies, and premium protein. It doesn't get better than that. So I would say savor Green Chef's seasonal-inspired recipes where they celebrate the peak ingredients, flavors, and freshness of every season, which is definitely something that I look for in a meal kit. I want to be eating seasonally and, you know, uh, eating what is fresh right now, and Green Chef really allows me to do that, and I really, really like their product. And what I love about Green Chef is that choosing Green Chef means choosing real wholesome foods that don't just fill you up, but also support a healthy lifestyle. It's more than just satisfying your hunger. It is feeling good with every bite. So go to greenchef.com slash 60 spirits and use code 60 spirits to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. Again, go to greenchef.com slash 60 spirits and use code 60 spirits to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. And now let's get back to the show. So Amanda, we're back. And traditionally during Chinese New Year, people will drink a nianju, which literally translates to year alcohol. Oh, I love that. How cute. However, this is more of like a all-encompassing thing. It isn't a specific type of alcohol that one drinks during this time of year. It's just like the drink that you have during Chinese New Year. Oh, sure, sure. Like, yeah, special, special drink because it's the New Year. Yes, exactly. So the most common alcohol to drink for that is a baiju. Which is, in case you have not heard of Baiju before, it's a fermented sorghum drink traditionally. It's made of a lot of different things nowadays, but traditionally it is based on sorghum. It is strong, kind of like vodka is. Usually unflavored, but there are different types of Baiju that is flavored. So, for example, traditionally these flavored Baijus are enjoyed during New Year's Eve. There's a Tusu wine, which is spiced with like cinnamon and Szechuan pepper. Ooh. And there's also Zhao wine, which is flavored with cypress tree leaves and Szechuan pepper flowers, which sounds amazing. Yeah. I got to get my hands on some of this. Yeah. I think it's really cool as well because like I, you know, in the West, we have a lot of like aperitifs usually that coming out of Europe and stuff like that, which have a lot of different like spices and herbs and whatnot. But I, I sometimes I get bored with like the and there's licorice and there's this and there's that. And I feel yeah. like this would be like cypress tree leaves and Szechuan pepper flowers. That sounds amazing. That sounds so good. Yeah. And like wake up your palate or, you know, give you a little bit of like, you know, when you had a full meal and you have like a nice, you know, uh, floral or herbal or even spicy sort of palate cleanser. That's lovely. 
Yeah, exactly. And usually these are served in like shot glasses and they're either taken as shots or kind of like sippers like you would have like a aperitif cocktail afterwards or like an aperitif alcohol afterwards. Yep. So you can you can go however you want to go with it. Um, if you can find some Baiju around you, I would definitely recommend trying to get some for any sort of New Year celebration that you might be a part of. Uh, and you could also use it to make a martini, which I would also recommend as a way to do it. Um, I would say, hey, sub part of your gin or vodka, not all of it, but like some of it, maybe like um, a third to a quarter of it uh, and use Baiju instead. And you can also infuse your vermouth with like ginger and maybe like a green tea or something like that. Mm -hmm. It really helps highlight the flavor of the baiju incredible i gotta find a baiju cocktail uh well i will be including one of my favorite recipes for our patrons as a part of the the recipe cards for this episode hey hey so now that we have that in hand my baiju martini uh let's get back to chinese new year so there are a lot of aspects and practices that make up the spring festival I'll say right now, we're not going to touch on everything, but I do want to talk about some of the parts that are relevant to what we talk about here on Spirits, because while any sort of festival is going to have kind of like practical and religious reasons to celebrate, of course, we have to talk about mythological reasons that it's celebrated as well. Oh, yeah. So it was said that in the past, there was a beast that was called the Nian, which lived away from people, either in the sea or far in the mountains, depending on where the story is being told. Whatever the like scary area near your village was, that's where mm -hmm. the Nian would hang out. So it was a creature that had a flat face of a lion, the body of a dog, but like much larger and huge teeth, particularly like the incisors were like very, very big, right? Mm. So once a year, so once a year, every year, at the beginning of the year, the Nian would emerge from its hiding place, either in the sea or in the mountains, and it would go hunting. It had a particular taste not only for livestock and for crops, but for people as well. So it would attack during the winter when food was scarce and people were already struggling. And it would sometimes eat their crops. And then if that did not satisfy it, it would attempt to eat the children of the village. Mm. However... From observing it, the, one of the stories goes that, like, everyone was very afraid of this and an old man decided that he was going to stay up and watch it and see if it had any weaknesses or anything like that. So they discovered that the Nian was afraid of certain things. So it was afraid of the color red. It was afraid of loud noises. It was afraid mm. of fire. So the villagers took preparations the following year to ward off the Nian. They put red lanterns in their windows. They put red decorations on their doors. They set off fireworks. They banged on drums and on empty bowls. And if all else failed, they left food out on their doorstep so that if the Nian wasn't scared away by all those things, it would eat the food rather than them. Brilliant. Yeah, this is a smart move. And I'm uh, I'm drawing some lines in my head between, you know, certain uh, parades, customs, fireworks, firecrackers. Yes, exactly. So as such, many of the activities that warded off the Nian continued to be a part of the New Year festivities, including the dragon and lion dances, which I think is probably if you're picturing a Chinese New Year celebration, you are probably picturing either a dragon or a lion dance. Mm hmm. 
which uh, have you like seen one uh, live Amanda before? Oh yeah, no, it's it's truly astonishing. The dancers are so good. <laughs> the the streets are packed and shut down and so beautiful and they they really do tell a story. Yes, it's so the Chinese uh, lion and dragon dances are not exclusive to Chinese New Year and the Spring Festival, but a lot of times when it is performed during this time of year, it is retelling the story of the Nian. Incredible. Another practice that is tied to a mythological story that is practiced at Chinese New Year is the practice of giving out red envelopes. Have you heard of this before? I have, where you give gifts uh, to people. And even if it's not a ton of money, you know, it's it's sort of a, from my outside understanding, a way to pay forward fortune for the new year. Yes. So typically it is married couples or elder members of the family that give it to either younger members of the family or just like unmarried members of the family. Almost always has money inside. Uh, the amount varies based on tradition and family. This kind of money is supposed to suppress evil spirits and bring wealth and good fortune, like you pointed out. It's also usually a denomination of eight in mm -hmm. some way because eight is considered an extremely fortunate number. Nice. So this tradition comes from a story about a monster called Sue, which is said to have come out every New Year's Eve and would touch the heads of sleeping children. Okay. Already somewhat creepy. Very creepy. Yep. This would cause harm to the children. It would frighten them. It would wake them up. It would give them a fever that could be deadly. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I was like, two of those things are not like the final thing. <laughs> I mean, even if it was simply creepy, that would be enough, you know, Dianu, but like, damn. The story goes, the original story goes, that there was an elderly couple who had a young son who was worried that the sue would cause their son harm. I also feel like this is a very classic kind of, um, like, we've talked about kind of the fairy tale stories where it's like, and they begged to have a child, and then finally they were given the child, but then the child is endangered in some way. Yeah. It follows those kind of beats very classically. Of course. And what a what a way to heighten tension, because when, especially when the, you know, child is, is the result of struggle, you don't want additional struggle afterward. No, but like totally understandable when you worked so hard and like, probably gave up a lot in order to have that child. Yeah. You want to make sure that child is safe. You want that to be the happy ending to the story and not the, the intermission. So the couple decide that they're concerned that the if the boy falls asleep, he will fall prey to the sue. So they take out eight copper coins to entertain the boy. Oh, very shiny. Very nice. Fun to play with. However, much like all babies do, son grows very tired. So they say, okay, we're going to let you go to sleep. But they put the eight copper coins into a red paper bag and then place that under the child's pillow. Can't hurt. As the monster did every year, the sue arrives while the child is sleeping. But when it reached to touch the child's head, the pillow glowed with a bright golden light, which scared away the monster. Nice. Now, the story spread across the land, and so the tradition of giving money within the red envelope or the red bag to children became a part of the tradition in order to protect them from harm. Love that. That's awesome. And then when you, you know, get married, have a kid, if that's if that's what you do with your life, then you, you know, pass along that to the, the person you're in charge of protecting. Exactly. Uh, there's also another version, which is much more dramatic, I think, uh, where there is a monster that is terrorizing a village. 
no man is able to defeat it. All these scholars try to come. All these warriors try to come. No one's able to defeat this monster, right? Julia, neither the scholars nor the warriors? Yeah, no. No statesmen, no warriors, no one. Damn. So at last, an orphan boy, a child, Amanda, whoa, shows up. He's got a magical sword that he inherited from his ancestors. And he goes and he battles with the creature and he destroys it. Damn, dude. And for his bravery, the elders of the village gave this young man a reward in a red envelope. Hey. So that's the kind of mythology behind giving these red envelopes as a sign of good fortune and passing it down to the the younger members of your family. So sweet. So if you were visiting China around Chinese New Year or even your local Chinatown during this time, you might see statues or art of these three bearded men. Now, these three bearded men are known as the Sanjing. They are Fu, Lu, and Xiao. And they are the embodiments of fortune, prosperity, and longevity, respectively. Three uh, older men that I would love to be friendly with. So specifically, they represent the three attributes that in traditional Chinese uh, culture make up a good life, which is fortune, prosperity, and longevity. And they are honored during Chinese New Year, especially in the hopes that the New Year will bring fortune, prosperity, and longevity. Classic. I also think it's really interesting because Fu presides over the planet Jupiter. And as we discussed when we were talking about the Chinese Zodiac, the Zodiac is based on the movements of Jupiter, which kind of ties them together both astrologically and astronomically, which I think is just a really cute, fun fact. That is really fun. I'm wondering now if the word jovial is supposed to describe Jupiter. I think so. Always learning something here today, Julia. I think it was probably more of a vibe of uh, Jupiter, the Roman god, and not Jupiter, the planet. But I like it. I'm into it. So uh, one of the last things that I want to talk about in regards to Chinese New Year is traditional food. Because if you know me, you know that I'm a big fan of food, and especially food that is eaten specifically for celebration or for specific Mm -hmm. times of the year. I love specialty food for an event. So it is important to note that New Year's Eve is traditionally a family reunion dinner where family members will gather together to celebrate, typically at the home of the eldest member of the family. Mm -hmm. There are eight individual dishes that are served because that number represents good fortune. I also was reading something like if you had a family member who passed away in the previous year, you would serve seven and then go back to eight the following year, which is like a nice little honor thing, Um, especially because Chinese New Year is also tied to uh, family and ancestor veneration. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. There are quite a few notable foods that are enjoyed at this dinner. And again, while eight is a traditional number of dishes served, it really depends on your region and your family and your custom as to what those dishes are. But there are a few that like tend to show up at a lot of tables. In McLaughlin family lore, uh, we went to a Chinese New Year dinner with my grandpa's best friend um, who emigrated from China uh, before I was born. And it was like probably 12 courses. I was I was quite young, like I think eight or nine. And so I would love to do that again when I can drink alcohol (laughs) and uh, also appreciate the origins of all the dishes. But I just I have so many memories of being like, I I simply can't eat anymore and uh, kept coming. And it was incredible. That sounds so delicious. I want to do that so badly. Someone please take me out to that dinner so I can enjoy it. My first time eating chicken feet, they were so good. 
there are, like I said, a few notable dishes, uh, usually representing different things that one hopes for in the new year. So, for example, uncut noodles, as long as you can make them, are served to represent longevity. Mm-hmm. Not an exclusively a Chinese New Year thing, but it is one of those things where if you are going to eat your first meal of the new year, it should be long noodles because it'll make sure that you live a long life. I love that and should flex on how long you can make your noodles. Uh, my my dad's mom could apparently uh, peel a whole apple with just like a paring knife and like the peel was all one piece. That's um, so cool. Which I can do with a peeler, which is much less cool. But every time I do it, I'm like, nice. You're like, knife skills. Nice. Yeah. Cantonese families, for example, often have a fried dumpling that is called, I believe, jiao gok because it is like a little purse. And it also kind of looks like old Chinese gold ingots. Cute. So it's supposed to represent uh, the the money and the fortune that is going to come your way in the new year. All for it. Yeah. Uh, there is a dish uh, that is called Buddha's Delight, which you might have had. Uh, it's a very, like, often served at vegetarian or vegan Chinese places. It's often found at the table around this time of year for two reasons, which is some households maintain a vegetarian diet for the first five days of the new year, as is a Buddhist tradition, a kind of like purification thing. Nice. And then the other reason is because one of the ingredients, which is uh, fat choy, which is a type of like algae that kind of looks like long black hair. uh, That word also sounds like the Cantonese word for prosperity. Nice. Love a pun. Amanda, so many of these are puns. (laughs) <laughs> I, I was like, let me do the non-pun ones first, and then we'll get to the puns. Bring it on. I'm ready. For example, the word apple is a homonym for the word for peace. Mm, good. A thing you want at New Year. Yes, exactly. Uh, same for oranges. They have a similar word for the word for luck. The word fish kind of sounds like the word for surplus. So you would hey. serve fish with the hope that you will have a lot of extra in the year to come. Love to hear it. And if that extra takes the form of more fish, I'm happy. There was also one that I really liked where it's like chicken is always served at the New Year's Eve meal because the idea is no matter what family you are coming from, no matter like what your social status is, no matter how much you have, the hope is you will always be able to at least serve chicken. Oh, that's great. I really like the puns and the homophones. Like, those are <laughs> so much fun. It just, again, it it really makes me feel seen as a member of the, you know, the human species that everyone's like, wait, that thing sounds like that thing, and then makes a really sweet tradition out of it. It is. It's really nice. And there's a ton of other foods that are, are served during this this time. I'm very curious what our friends at home who have celebrated this in the past or continue to celebrate it, like, what does your traditional table look like? I'm I'm very curious to see, like, what you eat and why you eat it. I would love to know. And a very happy new year to everyone who is celebrating at this time. There's a lot of aspects that make up the celebration of Chinese New Year. Uh, Not only is it a festival that celebrates the New Year, but also honors deities and ancestors and your family. And like I said, if you grew up celebrating Chinese New Year, if you still do, I would love to hear what your personal celebrations look like. So uh, send us a message telling us what your favorite memories, your favorite parts, your favorite foods that you eat during the holiday are. And I want to hear about all of your experiences. Love to hear it. And Julia, thank you for giving us this wonderful tour of the origins and ways that the new year is celebrated and why. 
it is my pleasure. And hey, uh, next time you are crossing a river to impress the Jade Emperor, stay creepy. Stay cool. <laughs>